0: City, oh, city, beaten by storms. Is there no one to comfort you? City, oh, city, beaten by storms. Listen close to your God I will
1: Praise God. I was a bit perplexed, I'll be honest with you, about what I was going to share this morning. Sometimes the Lord does stretch me out. Sometimes he gives it to me, you know, in advance and sometimes on the moment. <laughs> I promise that's not what happened here. But he gave it to me last night and He really blessed me. And I'm trusting that it will bless all of us here and many others. Amen. The title of this message is Stepping Into Destiny. Stepping Into Destiny. Let's just read two scriptures to start off with. I've got quite a few that we are going to read, but there are just two that perhaps preface this whole message. Matthew 10, 42 42. The Gospel of Matthew. Going to read from chapter 10, verse 40 and 42. Right, this is the Lord speaking. And this is what he has to say. He receives you. He's speaking to disciples and to us. He receives you receives me, and he who receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Alright, let's just go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, we're just going to read from verse 1 to 3, the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews thirteen one to 3. Hebrews thirteen one to 3, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly Entertained angels. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, I'm struck in the word by the many, many people that just how shall I say stumble into Scripture. The small people I could call them that. not the Moseses, the Elijahs, the Elishas, although to small people along the way who just stumble into Scripture and into eternity, actually. And when the Lord placed this title in my mind, stepping into destiny, he started to remind me of all the people in the Bible that did exactly that. And I knew he wanted me to share on it, so my question to him was, well, Of all these people that did this, which ones must I choose? Can you see? Because if we had to go through all of them, we'd be here until 6 o'clock tonight. I'm sure none of you want to do that, at least of all myself. But you think of people like Ruth. We've spoken about Ruth who just decided to go with her mother. She stepped into eternity. She stepped into the bloodline of Christ. You think of that little slave girl, servant girl, captured in another country, living as a slave, being a servant to a great general. And she, when she discovers that this general has got leprosy, tells them about Elisha the prophet. We all know the story of Naaman and how that little incident changes the history of those two countries. It brings peace to two nations. How's that? One slave girl. She just stepped into destiny, you see. We think of people like Epaphroditus who just happened to be with Paul and by just being a servant and helping, steps into the destiny and helps the church and helps the kingdom of heaven. There are so many of them, so many of them. Anyway, I asked the Lord, which ones must I focus on? And you see, the thing about this is that there's a pattern involved. There's a pattern involved. And the whole point of this teaching is just to encourage you and I. Because here's the truth. God wants every single one of us to step into destiny. Can you see that? A lot of us and a lot of people think to themselves, well, who am I? I'm just a housewife. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a this. I'm just a that. You understand. And we can be fooled into thinking, well, our lives don't count for much. That's probably the same thought that went through Ruth's mind when she just said, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to go with Naomi. Can you see that? But the truth is that you and I are destined for great things, all right? God wants to use every single one of us. And what we need to learn is what is it that made these people different? Can you see that? What is it about them? Simple, everyday people making a simple choice at a strategic moment. What is it about them? What qualities did they have that made them just transfer, in a sense, from history into eternity? And you see, if we can pick up those qualities and build them into our lives, who knows? Who knows what God can do with us in his great kingdom? Amen. Well, the first one I wanted to speak to you about is, and this is a beautiful scripture that I like to read. It's one of my favorites. Let's go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and we're going to read from verse 18 to 23. That's right. The Old Testament, 2 Samuel, 18 to 23. We're going to learn about an individual by the name of Ittai the Gittite. <laughs> Imagine being known as Ittai the Gittite. <laughs> right. Ittai the Gittite. Now here, the situation is important to grasp the situation. You all remember King David. He was a great king. God used him to put Israel on the map. You all know that. He was a great soldier. I mean, he was courage on wheels. And he was a psalmist. He was a great leader. He had great faults as well. But anyway, he was just a human being like us, but he was a great leader. And God used him. In a sense, a type of Christ. A type of Christ. He built the kingdom of Israel. From nothing, he built it up to something. Now, his reign went on very well. But towards the end of his reign, he had a son all right, a son called Absalom. And Absalom was really good looking. Absalom could grow his hair long. In fact, the long hair was his downfall because he got caught in a tree and they killed him. So there's a benefit to having short hair, especially if you ride a horse. Okay, but anyway, Absalom got into rebellion, as some young men do, and he won the hearts of Israel because of his good looks, and there's a whole story behind it. And eventually, he mounted an insurrection. All right? And David, who was old then, was told, look, you better get out of town because Absalom has turned the hearts of people against you. So this is the story of when David leaves Jerusalem. All right? And the point to realize, at this stage, David looks like a loser. Amen? David is a loser to all intents and purposes in this situation. Has everybody grasped that? It's like the Lord, isn't it? When he was high and mighty and healing everybody, hallelujah, everybody wanted to be with him in the crowds, mobbed him, you understand? But when he's on the cross, they laughed at him, mocked him, jeered him. The same people. Terrible, isn't it? Even the thief next door railed at him. How demeaning, how undermining. But anyway, the point is this. David was king, everybody wanted to be his friend, but now to all intents and purposes on his way out. Okay. And that's a test of loyalty, is it not? When we down. Who stands by us? All right. But anyway, so David gets all these fine mighty men, they're all going with him and they're leaving whole entourage, they're going out of Jerusalem. And then this incident happens. Verse 18. Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, all the Gittites, 600 men, who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite. He his character. Now listen, up till now, unheard of. Does everybody get it? You've probably never heard of him yourselves, (laughs) right? Unheard of, Ittai the Gittite, and he's going through. David says this to him. Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king. That would be absolute. For you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. You see that? Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. So David gave him a pass. You understand? He's saying to him, listen, I can't guarantee any future. I don't want to involve you in this mess. It's not your fault. Can you all see that? So he said, you can go and be blessed. Be blessed. Take your family, your little ones, go. All right? But it's Now listen to this. These are the most beautiful words almost in the Bible. Answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Isn't that beautiful? Right? So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over, and all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over towards the way of the wilderness. All right. Now, here we have a man who is a new boy in town. Let's put it that way. It's only come a day, and the situation that he's presented with is, well, I've joined up with the wrong team. <laughs> David's on his way out. But all the same, what happens? For some reason, and we have to look at this in detail, for some reason, he says, no, I'm not leaving. I'm sticking with you, whatever happens. All right? Now, you see, that's the before. Let's just go to the after. Flip over a page or two. You'll see that something amazing, amazing happens. Remember, David is surrounded by people that have been faithful for years, all right? They've been with him for years. The mighty men that are with him. Let's go to Samuel 18. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. So his army is made up of great men, men that have proved themselves in battle, everything like that. And what happens is, through a whole lot of events, the tables begin to turn. David musters all of his troops, and they're going to go in and fight Absalom right? and all his troops. But listen to this preparation that David makes. Chapter 18, verse 1. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one third of the people under the hand of Joab. Job was the known commander of Israel, right? the armies of Israel. One third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Job's brother. All right? So these are the well-known generals. So he's divided his army in three. Guess who he puts in charge of the third? Under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. See that? And the king said to the people, I will also go out myself. But they said, no, you're staying behind, you're too old. Past your (laughs) prime. Can you see that? Here we have a man who's just come in. And David, listen, David had an understanding of humankind. He recognized men when he saw them. He trusted Ittai to command one third of his army, just like that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And all Ittai did was, in the situation, he said, No, I'm going with you. Although the odds were totally stacked against them. Isn't that beautiful? But we come back to that when we look at the whole story. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at the Lord. Luke verse 23, 26. Luke verse 23, 26. Here the other Lord is being led to Calvary, all right? And he's lost a lot of blood. He hasn't slept. He hasn't had any food. He's been beaten to within an inch of his life very weak and he's carrying this very, very heavy cross all the way to Calvary, the Via della Rosa, as they call it. And the Roman soldiers, being very kind folk, notice that he's struggling a bit. <laughs> it's not through sympathy. They're just scared that he might not make it and the last thing they want to do is carry somebody else's cross. So they find a man on the way by the name of Simon, Simon of Cyrene. Now, I know he doesn't have any choice in this, but verse 26, Luke 23, 26. Now, as they led him away, they lay hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Yeshua. He a man from the country. He was known to the disciples through relations, whatever, through family. And it's like maybe going up for the feast because everybody does that and leaves home in the morning, just maybe a normal farmer or tradesman, whatever, and he just goes up to the feast. Never dreamed what was going to happen. Never dreamed what was going to happen. And here this massive procession is all taking place. And as an onlooker, he just pitches up there. All right? Just pitches up there. To see what's going on, like everybody else. And what happens? Harry he sees this man battling with his cross, and the soldiers say, Come, help him. He didn't put up a fight, he went. Do you know, just by doing that, what did he do? Stepped into destiny. Do you see that? Just think about it. We'll always remember Simon of Cyrene as the man. Who helped save the world. Just think about it. He helped to save the entire world, humanity, by doing what? Just helping the Lord carry the cross. Isn't that awesome? He just stepped into destiny. And tradition says that Simon became an evangelist. Do you know that? He became an evangelist. He ended up in Egypt spreading the gospel and they martyred him. Do you know that? This is tradition. There's some books, apocryphal books, which state that he was cut in half. Welcome to the ministry. <laughs> you can wear a three-piece suit. You can drive in a Rolls Royce with a chauffeur. You have a massive church. But you might get cut in two. Isn't that awesome? Here's this man, an unknown. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't anything of the sort. He just happened to be in town. But he stepped into destiny. Amen. Another... Beautiful story, and we'll come back to this other one. But let's just go through to Acts, the book of Acts. Acts 16. You didn't think you'd do so much Bible draw today, did you? I'd like to read from verse 13. Now, Paul was busy, as you know, traveling through Asia Minor and gets this Macedonian call. He goes over to what is Europe now, Greece, and we pick up the story. His policy was to just go and get involved with whatever religious activity was taking place. Normally the synagogue, he'd just start preaching there and things would happen. Now on this occasion, on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So here Paul is doing his thing and he comes to this place called Philippi. And he hears that there's a prayer meeting. How's that? (laughs) There's a prayer meeting going on. So what does Paul do? I'm off to the prayer meeting. Heavens knows what sort of prayer meeting it was. Because they hadn't had the gospel yet. So you understand. But people are gathering to do what? To speak to God. To pray to God like we do. Just gathering to pray to God by the river. They've identified the place by the way where it happened. But anyway. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. All right, She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Amen. Now, please just understand, here is a woman. She's a businesswoman. All right, a businesswoman. She trades. And she's from another city, but she happens to be here in Philippi. Right? She obviously has people there that she knows. And she's praying, and Paul comes along, and he starts to talk, share the gospel. She hears it, and obviously she says, this is for me. <laughs> this is for my household. And she invites him to the house. She shares the word, obviously, they all get baptized, filled with the Spirit, she encourages them to stay. Now, what I need to say is, as a result of that, do you know that a whole series of events where they were thrown in jail and a whole lot of things happened, but a powerful church was established in Philippi. Did you know that? Powerful church. Paul referred to the church later on when he was in prison They were the only church that actually supported him at one stage. Did you know that? And he wrote the beautiful letter, which we know today as the book of Philippians. And that letter, we've studied it here. It's got so much depth to it, so much power, so much to learn. All of that. All of that because of what? Think about it. One businesswoman went to a prayer meeting. And she stepped right from there into destiny. Isn't that awesome? Is that not awesome? How many other businesswomen were there selling purple? How many of them stepped into destiny? Lydia. I mean. Now, the last example, and this is one we've spoken about very often let's just go to Luke 7. This incident is mentioned, and we assume that there are two incidents similar because the one involves Mary, but this is not Mary. This is another woman, all right? And I'm going to read this account for a specific reason. Let's go to Luke 7 from verse 35. Sorry, we're going to read from verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. She was a harlot, by the way. When she knew that Yeshua sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, the Lord picks this up in his spirit, okay? Because he was speaking to himself, but the Lord heard it in his heart and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him more. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Now, once again, here is a woman. And if you understand the times... Her profession was regarded as the lowest of the low. Still is to a certain extent. The world has changed a lot, let me tell you. But they were on the same level as tax gatherers. Now, tax gatherers wasn't just sars. Okay? Tax gatherers in those days were Israelite Jewish people who turned on their own people, traitors. So they were scum, basically. Right, but now here's this woman. Can you imagine? She has got this, how shall I say, reputation. And When she woke up that morning, I don't think in her mind she was planning to step into destiny, let alone into the sacred scriptures. (laughs) Can you imagine? And yet for some reason she did something. She did something that actually God saw and elevated her from a nobody to somebody that we even speak about to this very day, some 2,000 years later and beyond. Can you see that? Now all these incidents, there's so many others that I could mention. So many, many others. Elijah and that one widow who was going to die and a nobody stepped into history. But what is it that they all have in common? This is the point. We're trying to dilute from these stories. And there are four things that the Lord put on my heart. The first thing is that they never had a clue what was going to happen. (laughs) They didn't plan it. They didn't plan to become great. It wasn't like their motivation in life, oh, one day I'm going to become somebody and I'm going to get written down in the Bible. It wasn't like that was the intention. But they had something going for them that made that happen. Amen? And those same things can make it happen for you and I, is my point. The next thing is they had good hearts. They had good hearts. That's what made the difference. That woman, even though she was a sinful person, there was something good inside of her. Amen? Something very beautiful inside of her. And we're going to look at what that actually was. But she had that inside of her. You look at a person like Itai the Gittat. What do you find in this man? Honour. Faithfulness. You see that? Loyalty. Wonderful quality. That quality of loyalty. Had good qualities. Had good quality in his heart. You think of Lydia. Yeah, she is a businesswoman, but not just a businesswoman. She loved God. And when she recognized the man of God, she opened a house. Amen? She didn't just Say, oh well, wonderful message, thank you, on my way, come to the next prayer meeting, see what happens then. Can you see that? She opened her house to Paul and his disciples. Remember, if you took Paul on, you didn't just take Paul. He had all his people traveling with him. Quite an undertaking, quite an undertaking, but she did that. And look what happened as a result. The whole church was established, formed. Change history. Change history just because of that good heart. Simon of Cyrene, I know that he was commanded by the soldiers to do it. We can't say that it was his free choice, but we do know that he did it. Amen? He didn't say, no, no, not me, and run away. No. And I can sense in my heart that he saw a man really suffering. There was some goodness in him that just said, no, I've got to help this. It's fine, I'll do it. I'll carry it. I'm strong. Amen? Can you see these good qualities inside of these people? It's not something that they woke up one morning and said, well, I'm going to be like this today. Amen? You don't suddenly adopt those qualities. Amen? This quality of goodness of heart is something that we develop over time by consistently operating in the right way as situations come our way. Amen? We get tested on these things. I just have to go back to that widow. Remember, Elijah had been stuck by the river Cherith for three and a half years while there was drought. And the time came when God said, now it's time for you to save Israel. But before Elijah could save Israel, there was a requirement. Somebody had to receive him. Did you know that? Somebody had to demonstrate faith in him to release the prophetic anointing on his life. And the Bible says that the widow that God chose was one that was exactly on the other side of the country from where he was stationed. Did you know that? And she wasn't even from Israel. She was from part of the country which was known for its sorcery, where Jezebel came from, by the way. Now, how did it work that God sent him to her? Remember, there's been drought in this world of theirs for three and a half years. Everybody is starving. She herself is about to starve, and her son as well. All right? And God says to Elijah, Go and ask her. So this man, can you imagine? He's been for three and a half years in the wilderness, being fed by ravens. I don't think he was in any way overweight. <laughs> and in the wilderness, I don't think he has access to too many razors, whatever they use. And also, although there was the brook Cherith, that ran out. So not only was he not able to drink, he was unable to wash. Okay. So just picture this, and this man has travelled all the way across the country. By the time he got to her, I'm sure he looked a lot like some of these people here that scruffle around in the dustbins trying to find some sort of food or something. Can I put it bluntly, he probably stunk to high heaven. Imagine this apparition coming to your door and asking you for the last, piece of bread you've got in the house. Do you get the picture? But she didn't say no. She did not say no. Why? I can guarantee that through her history, she'd often done things like give to the poor. Amen? she often done things like that. So God could say to Elijah, there's hope this side of the country. Amen? and probably passed through a whole lot of other villages and houses and palaces and whatever, and God had to say, their hearts are too hard. But she did it. She did it. And because of that, Elijah was able to go on and save Israel. Isn't that a thought? Is that not a thought? Can you see, what was in her heart was not something that just suddenly, if she'd had a history of kicking beggars out of her house, her whole life, and this one came along, what would have happened? God would not have sent him. this making sense. Can you see? There are certain qualities in us. If we develop them, we're setting ourselves up to step from just our own little lives into destiny. Amen? There's the final thing. And this is the thing that was common to all of them. And it's hard to understand, really, because if you look at it, it doesn't really make sense. But then obviously with God, very few things (laughs) make real sense. Not this side of heaven, all right? When we get there, we will know. But the one thing, and I'm ending with this, and this is the most important thing. For some reason, every single one of these people recognized the situation for what it actually was. Amen? I they just instinctively picked up that this situation was important. Amen? I they just instinctively picked that up. You think of Itar the Gittite, he sees this king in decline. Somehow, instinctively, he knows that even though this looks like a disaster waiting for a place to happen, even though he probably thought, this is the Titanic, I'm getting on board, because this is important. Amen? And by doing that, just having that perception, he stood into history, into eternity. Lydia as well. How many times has she prayed there? How many times had people come and talked about the Bible of their time, whatever they were talking about? And yet on this occasion, what happened? Somehow she just knew this is important. Remember that scripture, the prophet's reward? She recognized the prophetic anointing on Paul. Can you see that? Because of that, She stepped right into destiny, changed the world. Simon from Cyrene, here he is. He doesn't know what's really going on. The Romans were quite happy to crucify people. This was nothing new, sad to say. That was their preferred method of execution, especially if you're a runaway slave. How's that? So, I mean, this was quite common. Quite common. But on this occasion, somehow, he just knew this is different. This is where I need to step in. And he did. Let's end with this woman. Now, I read it in my reading this morning. And this is how the Lord confirmed that I must go to the Scripture. One of the Old Testament rules, I mean, God gave Moses, a whole lot of rules that to you and I seem to be illogical, insensitive, actually. Do you know one of those rules was the wages from a harlot and the money you get from selling a dog. You cannot give that to God as a holy vow. You can't do that because it's unclean. Think about that. So, I mean, the wages of a harlot were regarded as the same as money you'd get from selling a dog. Has anybody sold a dog recently? (laughs) Well, if you do sell a dog, don't put the money into the office. Now listen, listen. How do you think this woman paid for that anointing oil? Not from washing other people's clothing. Amen. So in a sense, she came with what? The wages of a The thing that was forbidden in Old Testament. And they were still living under the Old Testament law. Now, I just thought about that, and I said, you know, Lord, would she have known about it? And basically, the Lord said, fortunately not. (laughs) No, but listen, she didn't know that, but maybe it was in the air, so to speak. You don't take this money and do anything holy with it. You understand? In her ignorance, possibly, But in this perception, which we can't understand, birthed in the goodness of her heart, she cut right through all that old law. She cut right through it. Amen? It's probably what was in the Pharisee's mind when he said, if he was a prophet, he would know where this cash comes from. He would not receive it. you understand? Does it make more sense now? Can you see? You would have probably known that. You don't do that. And this woman is coming with that. You don't do that. Can you see? And yet what?
0: Somehow, she perceived the situation is
1: somehow just different. Amen. Just different. Do you know what the truth is? She picked up in her spirit what this man or who this man really is was. This was a once-in-eternity time. And she was able to break through all the fear that she must have had of being in the presence of people, especially the Pharisee's house.
0: But she realized this is destiny. There's something here, instinctively.
1: And because of that, what happened? You and I, when we look at that scene, who do we think are most high of? Which one do we have a great heart for? The same as God, I hope. Not the Pharisees who knew all the laws and everybody else who just were concerned about keeping the money for themselves or whatever, wasting money. No, the one person who realised this is God on the earth. I don't know. What it means, I don't understand it, but I know that he is worthy. The best I've got, he is worthy. Amen. Just for that understanding, she stepped what? From miserable life into God's grace. And I can guarantee you, she's in heaven today. Amen. Can you see, brothers and sisters, we can also step into destiny. I stepped into destiny some time back. We have an associate, Shagen Olusogun, originally from Nigeria, who is on fireman of God, and he's running an, an organisation, Institute for Christian Leadership and Development, here in Pretoria. And him and the people that he associates with, in 2010, they decided to organise, arrange what you might call the dedication of South Africa, and. Uh, Many people have dedicated South Africa, I know. Great men of God have done things like this. So it was nothing new. But this was different in that it was a sense that God had called him to do it and others, and they opened it up to the whole church. It wasn't like one institution, one organization. And we were involved with him at the time. And we went to one of the meetings about it, and we were all talking about it. And the plan was to have separate dedications in each province, you see and to get the Christians and those leaders there to go through this routine of dedicating their province to God, try and turn the tide on corruption and things like that. So this happened in a number of places. But at this meeting, they said, OK, those people from KwaZulu-Natal, you go over there, the Cape, and those from Gauteng over there. Of course, I went with the people in Gauteng. I didn't know any of them. They didn't know me. And then they said, well, choose somebody to be the leader, you see, of your group. <laughs> I'm minding my own business. Okay, Graham, you're going to be the leader. (laughs) You people don't think I've got enough trouble as it is on my own. (laughs) Anyway, so I said, okay, I'll I'll convene it for Gauteng. And then, let me just explain something. The plan was to have Natal, Free State, Northwest, you know, all the provinces, the Cape, and then the final one, just before Christmas, will be in Gauteng. You see? And then they said, well, because we're doing the final one here in Gauteng, we'll combine it with the national South Africa. So they said, oh, well, seeing that you are organizing Gauteng, you will now be responsible for the dedication of South Africa. <laughs> I started to sing that song. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? Anyway. So this thing got off to a wonderful start but let me tell you the pathway was very very shaky. You can imagine with all the different ins and outs and oh my soul. Anyway we eventually got there and uh, on the way let me tell you it was totally unsponsored you understand. This was supposed to just happen out of thin air. My dear friend Shagan Olisugun had this idea that the churches will just willingly all chip in, you see, and now if you're going to organize the dedication on that level, you need sound, you need stuff, let me put it that way. We had to get toilets alone, cost a fortune, you know, these porta-potties, and you have no idea how many people are coming. That was the problem, you understand, and we had to organize the communion and all the speakers, and it was a lot. It was a lot. Anyway, we had these meetings. I said, look, we have to meet every week before this thing happens just to try and coordinate it. In the process, people came, people left. At one stage, there's one block, because the whole issue was, you know, do we invite the president? (laughs) Do we invite the president? You see, my thinking was everybody's welcome. We must invite the president if it's a dedication of South Africa. Some people in this whole group, saw that as an affront because they didn't want this president, who was somebody whose, you know, theme tune was he <laughs> he They didn't want him to set foot in this whole thing. So we were sitting in the meeting and there was this block that didn't want that to happen and this block that said doesn't really matter. And, oh, my soul, I was sitting there I said, oh, God, what do I do now? What do I do now? But fortunately, somebody says, well, look, Let's not invite him, let's inform him, you see. And this was something that everybody could accept. So he was informed. Needless to say, he didn't pitch, but anyway. He was welcome. That's the point, you see. My point was, this is the dedication of South Africa. Everybody, everybody is welcome. It's not for a select group, because then it's not the dedication of South Africa, is it? Obviously, finance was a big issue. Every time in the meeting, they said, oh, we need this. The station, we need all this. We're down to our last piece of paper. When they came to that, they all looked at me. I'm struggling to keep our it going. And I mean, really, you know, look at me. But anyway, the one occasion, friends of mine, a businessman, phoned them I said, please, these guys need station. Can you just help us? Yes, he said, no problem. So that was one of those things. But I mean, we had a lot of people that had to be involved. And if you're going to do something like that, people want to deposit. Obviously, this is not charity, you see. Anyway, the one stage it was like, oh, my soul, what do we do now? Here in this lounge, I raised my hands to God and I said, Father God, please, you have got to help us. The phone rings. The organiser said to me, the church in the north have contributed, I think it was 10,000 rand. And you must understand what the church in the north is composed of people who get up at two o'clock in the morning to get to work, spend most of their money on transport, what little bit they have on food and the rest they give to the children to get them educated. But they put their pennies together, whatever. You understand? And that carried us, through. carried us through. It was amazing how God actually did it. On the day, it rained cats and dogs. Let me tell you, it was It was like the heavens opened and we had organized the police band to come and play the national anthem and on the day they came and said to me if we play the national anthem our music will all get wrecked by the rain do you want us to do it (laughs) that's like saying we're not in this for you or nobody fortunately one of the ladies who was singing she said leave this to me and she took it away you know on her own but that sort of thing happened all the way through and yet let me tell you on the occasion I just sensed the anointing of God I was in that place, that police arena by the Union Buildings there. And something happened in the spirit. Something happened. Amen? I know to this day, South Africa is going through terrible times and all this. It doesn't really bother me. Do you know why? At some stage, a band of Christians got together and just said, We're dedicating this outfit to you. Amen? And I was involved in that. I didn't apply for the job. I didn't say to Shagan, listen, I think I need to run this thing because I'm so skilled. I mean, my leadership skills are out of this world. Look at my thriving... (laughs) Well, I was sitting there, to be honest, minding my own business. Amen? Just like possibly Simon of Cyrene goes to Jerusalem and just minding his own business. Or Ittai the Gittite happens to be in town, minding his own business. Amen? Or Lydia, just there doing a trade, goes to a prayer meeting, minding her own business. Or that prostitute waking up one morning, minding her own business, but here's, this man's in town. Can you see? And I can't say that I'm sitting there and I was thinking to myself, this is the last thing I need in my life right now. Amen? The last thing I need in my life right now that I realized it was important. Amen? I realized to God, forget about me, this was important. And if nobody else is going to do it, what can I say? Amen? What can I say? Can you see? And opportunities like that will come our way. What is the choice?
0: Step into destiny. Amen? And be counted.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful examples throughout the Bible of people, just common people. Some of them sinners. All of them with faults like us. None of them with any aspiration. To change the world, and yet, because of goodness of heart, by virtue of being available, they stood up to the plate. They stood up to the plate, O Lord. And because of that, every one of them has enriched our lives, even now, thousands of years later, and the lives of countless others. My prayer, Lord, is that we would be available for you to use. May we all, as and when you call upon us, be ready, be perceptive, be willing to step into destiny. In the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen.